Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tuesday night, and you know exactly what that means. It's time for the real conversation with Shayna Thornton. Let's talk America with hosts. Shana Thornton is your radio talk show spotlighting the critical issues of today. She is certain to feature expert guests and celebrities each and every Tuesday night. She is a celebrated newspaper columnist, popular blogger, and award-winning radio talk show personality who has a passion for groundbreaking discussions. Here she is. Let's welcome the one and only, the engaging host for the national show. Please give it up for Shana Thornton. Good Tuesday evening to everyone, and welcome to your national award-winning family radio talk program, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton, where you will always find talk radio with substance. I am your featured on-air personality, Shana, and I am both excited and grateful to that you have opted to join us this Tuesday night. I want to welcome everyone to a national program for the entire community and really every single member of the family. You know, this is your show, and it's for all of us. We bring topics to the table that need to be addressed. We do aim to offer insight, expertise, and helpful solutions that hopefully will impact and shape lives in a very game-changing manner. This radio talk show features relevant topics with leading celebrities and leading expert guests, and we certainly cherish your commitment to staying live with us each and every Tuesday night. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if you happen to miss any of our segments live or if you're interested in listening to the segment again, simply always go to our website where you can listen to the replay podcast. And our website, it's one of two you can visit. One is www.letstalkamerica with shanathornton.com or simply visit www.blogtalkradio.com slash shanathornton. And again, any segment or any episode you're interested in listening to for the first time or for the fifth time, Know that they're right there available for you to listen to, connect to. And also remember, you can always share those podcast episodes with family, friends, and colleagues. We're your show. We're here for you, for the entire community. I am so excited about tonight's segment. You will be too, because knowledge and awareness is key. And tonight's hot topic is one that you certainly will be intrigued with. But before we get everything started and bring in our featured expert guest, Please lend me your ears for just a few seconds to hear some very important messaging. Creative Images Photography is a family-operated photography team specializing in weddings and portrait photography, where we create memories one image at a time. For your photographic needs, contact us today at 803-606-4519 or email us at rfw 26 at AOL.com. Visit our website at www.cipoto1.com. That's www.cipoto, the number one, dot com. Also, connect with us on Facebook. Mention this ad and you'll receive 10% off of our silver wedding collection. Remember, Creative Images Photography, where we create memories, one image at a time. And in the meanwhile, we are listening to Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. 
Safeguard Security Solutions is a certified, service disabled, veteran-owned small business. We provide you with trained and trusted security guards. Safeguard Security is a trusted leader with proven expertise in a number of markets, including colleges and universities, commercial real estate, defense and aerospace, financial institutions, government services, health care, high schools, manufacturing and industrial, personal security, residential communities, shopping centers, transportation and utilities. For more information, please contact us at 678-369-7920 or at our website www.safeguardsecuritylc.com. Rather than feeling jolly and carefree about the holiday season, do you begin to feel the stress that accompanies the whirlwind of events and the seasonal rush to get things done? Elite Designs has a solution for you. By offering full-service event planning, venue management, and holiday designs customized for your home or business, Elite Designs can reduce your holiday stress before it begins. We specialize in creating a memorable and inspiring holiday atmosphere, delivering your design with flawless execution tailored to meet any budget so before you start feeling overwhelmed and stressed at the thought of the holiday season let elite designs be your holiday decorating service ensuring a stunning display that will enhance your home or business plan ahead call elite designs at 800-379-1125 or visit our website at theelitedesigns.com I love it. Do know that our national sponsors matter to this award-winning family radio talk show, that being, of course, Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. We value everyone because it truly takes a team to allow this show to be the success that it is. We value our advertisers, our sponsors, our partners, and, of course, our listeners. Thank you for your commitment and your time each and every week. Now, if you're interested in becoming an individual or business sponsor, please contact a courteous and professional member of our staff by simply emailing letstalkshana at gmail.com. Again, that's letstalkshana at gmail.com. A member of our very experienced and professional staff will address all of your advertising and needs and requests. That's our guarantee. Do reach out to us. And also, speaking of reaching out to us, of course, you already know about our website, our brand new website, which, of course, again, is www.letstalkamericawithshanathornton.com. But also, we're out there on social media. Do you love to send tweets by way of Twitter? Then simply search for our handle, which is SS Thornton. SS Thornton, and you'll connect with us. You'll get all of our tweets. And our promise is we will also follow you back, okay? It's a team effort over here on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. Well, I'm excited about tonight's segment of the show because it's one that is very fascinating and intriguing. We're talking about history, U.S. history to be exact, and we're talking about the public education school system. 
system. Now, of course, a majority of Americans who are educated come through the public education system. Tonight, I sit down with an exclusive leading historian throughout the entire nation. She's one of the top historians. and She's extremely talented, gifted, and knowledgeable when it comes to public education system. And in particular, we're going to pin down and talk about the nation's capital, the history of that public education system, and how it can likely reflect on the experiences of many Americans throughout this nation, regardless if you were in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C., New York, California, or the Deep South from Florida to Alabama to South Carolina. We're talking about public education tonight. We're putting the spotlight on history, which is one of my favorite topics and discussions. Well, before we get everything started, I would like to share with you some words of inspiration for tonight's program. You know, Edmund Burke, Edmund Burke, very well-known politician from Ireland, uh, is widely uh, known or noted for saying, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. Again, we're talking about history on tonight's segment of Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. So we thought it'd be fitting, of course, to provide a very well-known quote about history. Edmund Burke once said, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. With some words of wisdom, words to make you think also. Because, of course, world history uh, has many different facets to it. U.S. history also does. U.S. history has been very dynamic on many levels that have impacted many cultures and ethnicity groups. Tonight, we put the spotlight on the public education system. And we're talking about everyone. We're talking about African Americans who participated in the public education system. And we're also talking about Caucasians and others. So you have to stay with us. This show doesn't include everyone, and of course, knowledge is power, and information is always relevant and right on time. Well, I'm no expert, but I do have someone that is with me tonight. Kimberly Springle is a leading historian. She's also the executive director of the Charles Sumner School Museum and Archives out of our nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Kimberly has studied and is very uh, well known in the world of history, in particular when it comes to Washington, D.C. history. Again, the Charles Sumner School Museum and Archives is a facility that houses archives and a lot of historical documents, also information and resources about the public education system of Washington, D.C., our general discussion tonight will be about U.S. public education history, but we will pin the hold down also on Washington, D.C.'s public history. And, of course, Kimberly will share her experiences and her research on public education throughout this nation. I am so excited. She's a great friend of mine. Uh, she is one of the leading individuals in her field. Uh, if you don't know the name, she will be a household name very soon, that I assure you. So without much further ado, please help me welcome my featured expert guest for tonight, Kimberly Springle. Listeners of Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, welcome on this Tuesday night. I am so excited because I get to speak with my very, very good friend, my very good long-term friend, and also a leading historian. Kimberly Springle is with us. She is the executive director of the Charles Sumner School Museum and Archives, again, in the nation's capital. Good evening, Kim, and how are you tonight? 
Good evening, Shana. I'm doing wonderful. I'm very happy to be featured this evening. Well, I'm excited because, you know, you know this personally about me. I enjoy history, and I love when we get to talk about history, the truth of the world, and so many times we can learn from our history. And tonight at Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, we're putting the spotlight on the history of public education in this nation, and we're going to get more specific and spotlight and highlight the public education history of Washington, D.C. But before we dive deep into it, I have to talk about this. You know, public education, Kimberly, is so much intertwined in the history of our country, the United States of America. Yet some people tend to overlook the journey of public education for whatever reason. As a historian and leader of a museum that honors the public education history of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., again, explain just how significant public education is in the scope of a true picture of our U.S. history. Well, you know, school is a part of our cultural memory for one. But to dig even deeper than that historically, um, as, as you know, as you listeners know, public education was not always accessible on the same levels to all races and ethnicities. But there have been fights and struggles over history, over time, to create quality public education for everyone. So it's very important as a means to give people an opportunity to at least be on equal footing with receiving a quality education. Public education meaning that it's available and free to everyone as in a right. It's yeah. really a, um, a, a right okay. for, for, for Americans, talking about American history, of course, um, to receive access to a quality education, public education, which we're talking about, of course, education that is free and accessible to everyone. You know, you bring up a valid point, Kimberly, because if we like it or not, obviously there are dark spots in all nations' history. In the United States, we're talking about segregation, of course, that wasn't really all that long ago, obviously of the as late as the 60s, early 70s, there was still transition being made in certain parts of this nation in terms terms of assimilation, if you will, or desegregating school systems, you know, what, tell me about some of those differences, because I think people hear it, um, maybe there's uh, younger individuals in their early 20s, they're in college, or maybe they're in their 30s and they're not too familiar with it. What were some of the differences or discrepancies between the public education schools that Caucasians could attend versus those that African Americans could attend? I think um, the, the largest discrepancy um, lied in facilities, buildings, and resources in terms of new textbooks and, and pristine school resources, you know, those shiny things, shiny yes. globes and maps and, okay. and, and books that were brand new that you could write your name in and um, own. African Americans typically did not have those privileges. They didn't have those new shiny facilities. They had um, either hand-me-down schools okay. or schools that were very um, inferior in terms of the school buildings that were being built for white um, students. But in that same vein, the quality of education varied yeah. um, as far as what the, the teachers were actually doing in the classroom. In a lot of ways, the African-American schools, and, and particularly in certain parts of the country, were receiving excellent education yeah. as far as, as the devotion and the commitment and the will, so to speak, to succeed and excel and um, continue in, into higher education. 
as far as what was happening in the classroom. So even though they may have had torn books that had someone else's name in them or some other school stamp on the pages, okay. they used it to the best of their ability and still were able to learn with substandard materials. Mm. But I, I, would, I would argue that the biggest discrepancy was the physical, um, what you saw, okay. you know, the, the building what they look like and, and the type of resources that the students actually had or the teachers received to instruct students. Intriguing information. We're on live this Tuesday night on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. We're putting the spotlight and we're highlighting the history of public education in the United States of America. I am privileged to be sitting with uh, one of my very, very dearest friends, long-term friends, uh, one of the leading historians in the nation, and she's the executive director of the Charles Sumner School Museum and archives out of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know, Kim, obviously you lead a phenomenal museum that myself and my family have visited numerous times. I'm always impressed. I always learn something new uh, with the information uh, that the facility offers. You know, Washington, D.C. has always offered a quite unique scope regarding history. I want you to explain to our national and international listeners who come um, from various backgrounds, different parts of this nation, and the world. Explain just how important the various schools' archives of Washington, D.C. are when telling the complete story of history. Well, again, you know, we're very fortunate to have the comprehensive museum collection and archives in Washington, D.C. that actually um, charts that history from the beginning, 1804, 1805, um, that we're I think quite unique in that regard that we have a museum and comprehensive archives that yeah. does that. And the most important thing about that, we have Board of Education meeting minutes of our foundation that date back to 1804-05. We have class pictures, we have yearbooks, we have all sorts of um, architectural drawings of school buildings and, and historical references and summaries of when they were erected, when they closed, when they transferred, all of this, all of this important material. But what's most um, important is that this material is accessible to the public. So we have researchers from all walks of life working on dissertations, community histories, um, genealogy, all sorts of things. So individuals can come into our space and actually interpret history for themselves, which is great. Of course, we have exhibits that tell the history, yes. but we like to be objective. But the mere fact that we have an archive where you can actually dig into the history, look at the board minutes, look at correspondences from former superintendents on how they were handling certain things, such as desegregation of the school, right? Yes. You can come in and do research and interpret that history for yourself, discover new history that may not be founded. I think that's the most enlightening thing about having a collection that's not just sitting somewhere, you know, uh, covered in dust, but actually accessible to the public and they can come in and, and explore history and discover history. I learn something new every day myself in, or working with researchers that are doing a variety of things, which is phenomenal. Um, we're talking about a history that began a very long time ago, 1804 or 5. It's a long time. Yes, it so, is. So, again, folks can come in and they can interpret history for themselves. They can write and publish and um, and present this history in, in innovative ways, like through websites and other community projects. You know, what a phenomenal asset the Charles Sumner School Museum and Archives is um, for, of course, Washington, D.C., but it's really a telling story of 
U.S. history because, of course, uh, Washington, D.C., like many other cities, uh, played a major role in our nation's history. Now, clearly, Washington, D.C. has a lot of famous natives, Kimberly, of all cultures and ethnicities. Share with our national listeners right now some of those famous natives who attended the public school system of Washington, D.C., Oh, wow, there's so many um, who's who's name, you know, but just to name a few, um, we just celebrated the birthday of Elizabeth Catlett, who was a world-renowned um, sculptor and artist, visual artist. Um, she actually graduated from Dunbar High School. Wow. Her father was a teacher in D.C. Public Schools. She taught at Armstrong High School, yes. and um, she's known all over the world, and actually um, this year would mark her 100th birthday. Um, although she passed away a few years ago. Yes. She's one. Um, Senator Edward Brooks, who just passed away, oh, wow. also a Dunbar alum and, and the first um, elected, popularly elected senator since Reconstruction, African-American, excuse me, yes. let me be clear about that, the first popular, popularly elected African-American senator uh, post-Reconstruction. So that, that's an incredible history, and he came right out of our school system. Um, a lot of people who may be familiar with the punk world, and I learned this from um, my work at Sumner, but Ian Mackay. Oh, wow. So world-renowned punk legend. He's known all across the world. I learned that the punk music scene originated in Washington, D.C. Likely started from concert out of high school. He attended Wilson High School um, and graduated not too 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 long ago. Um, Warren Buffett, a lot of people don't know that, but he attended D.C. public wow. in Westerner but found his way from Nebraska to Washington, D.C., and also graduated from Wilson High School. And um, another, finally, another more recent graduate, which she's been in the news a little bit. Her name is Shirley Ann Jackson, and she's a Roosevelt alumni, and she's a physicist. And she currently is the top-paid private school, private university president in the nation. She is the president, the first African-American and first woman or female president at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York. Interesting. So she's also a product of D.C. Public Schools. There's a children's book written about her, and she's quite a prominent individual. Wow. So it's some very well-known and celebrated individuals who attended the public school system of our nation's yeah. capital. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and obviously these individuals, again, not just impacted uh, where they attended the local area, but have gone on to impact the world also. Kimberly, thank you for sharing. You know, I have an interest uh, in history, all history, and I know you touched on this before, and I want to dig into this just a little deeper. You know, there was a time in our country uh, where racial segregation was king and queen, and obviously at one point, as you so eloquently pointed out, the schools of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, were also segregated. Yet, the African-American schools continued to produce top graduates who went on to do dynamic things, um, awesome accomplishments. I want you to dig more and tell us a little more about those schools, especially during the 1930s and the 1940s. Uh, You know, I know you talked about the textbooks not really being um, equal uh, physically to those textbooks of their white counterpart schools. I know you said physically the buildings um, were likely uh, buildings that had already been used or utilized by uh, the uh, Caucasian race and then handed down to the minorities, the African Americans. You know, tell me more in the 30s and 40s, what were the teachers, the instructors like? What was their training like to teach these uh, students who would go on often, many of them, to do phenomenal things? I know you mentioned uh, 
several of the famous graduates of the public school system. And I don't want to be remiss if I'm correct. Dr. Charles Drew is also a product of the public education system of the nation's yes. capital, correct? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So tell us about more about during the segregation time, in particular, uh, those 20s, 30s, and 40s. You know, those teachers, um, you know, how trained were they? Well, I can speak, you know, of course, about Washington, D.C., yes. which is not the case for every state or, you know, or city in America. But Washington, D.C., I think, was a bit ahead of the curve in general. Um, being the nation's capital, there was actually a push, even though sometimes the buildings were substandard, et cetera. I think that the students in Washington, D.C. fared a little bit better than maybe the neighboring Virginia schools in Maryland, which is why you had a large influx of students coming from elsewhere to be educated in Washington. Okay. So I wanna I wanna lay that contextually first. But um there were two um, teacher training schools in Washington DC. It was Wilson Teachers College for white for white students to attend to get training to teach. And then there was Minor Teachers College as well. So you literally had teachers that were going through rigorous training to go into the classroom, almost like a physician. You know, they yeah. go through medical school and then and then they do their um, their internships in a hospital, et cetera. And um, that way, they're they're more prepared for the work world. So that was common in Washington D.C. and also particularly pertaining to African American students. Again, we had a there was a dual school system here up until the Brown case of '54. But um, at that time, the teacher the teachers who came that were placed in schools and yes. ended up going to minor teachers' college and placed in schools, in public schools, they were at the top of their class. Wow. So these were very bright women. Yes. Now, we're we're in the middle of a uh, D.C. public school retired educate, educator um, oral history project. So I've talked to a lot of teachers who were not only educators in D.C. public schools beginning in the late 40s, but were also students in the D.C. public schools. And as we've interviewed them, they reflected on their time as students. So that's what I can speak to. You know, okay. read things, but I can speak from their personal experiences. And they talked about how they could tell sometimes the buildings were a little substandard and raggedy, but they had excellent education. Wow. They were eager to go to school, and they adored their teachers. They still could talk very candidly and very specific about certain educators that taught them. And, um, and touch their lives and, and eventually inspire them to give back and teach themselves. So it goes back to your previous question as far as what was it like and what were some of those differences. What I've heard over and over again is, sure, you know, our books were torn up and maybe I only had five books for 30 students, but still we made it work yeah. in a way that, that um, the teachers would say we made it work in a way that I could reach my students and the, and the students would reflect that they learned and they loved school and they adored their teachers. They knew their teachers were committed and they had, they were aspiring for things at a very young age um, in elementary school. Mm. So, yeah, so I think too, the, the, the segregation of the schools and the separation, okay. I think, gave, and specifically African Americans, more will or gave them, you know, like, okay, we have to. We have to perform, you know, we have to set goals, we have to decide what we want to do for careers. We yeah. have to excel. There was, there was no other option. It was like excellence and there was no other option. So, you know, that's what I that's what I hear from reflections that I receive from people. And again, you know, we've also um, interviewed white teachers who okay. spouse the same values. At that time period, they were attending school in the 30s and 40s and coming out and deciding they want to be teachers. And they all spoke about, all the teachers conclusively 
spoke that some teacher inspired them to become one, or they came from a family where um, that's what their mother, you know, or father pushed that you're going to be an educator or a teacher. You wow. Know? So um, at that time, of course, again, there, there, I think pros and cons to segregation, obviously. Okay. And I think, particularly in African American community, it was a very nurturing environment, and I, I hear that over and over. Okay. Kimberly, when was the Washington, D.C. school system desegregated? And tell me this, what was that transition like for both students and teachers? Um, well, the Washington, D.C. school system, well, going back, was actually desegregated um, immediately after the Brown versus okay. Board of Education decision of 19, May of 1954. So fall of 1954, all schools um, were desegregated to a fault, and I'll, I'll get into that. But I did want to state that, um, as you may know, that was not the case. I mean, the whole clause in that in the final um, the final decision yeah. was with all deliberate speed. I think they even have a movie <laughs> the name okay. with all deliberate speed, which did not give a a, a date of action. Okay. But Washington D.C., being the nation's capital and the city of the nation, again, you know, had to prove that they were all about democracy. Yeah. So, what ended up happening is students, for example, um, Armstrong High School, which I mentioned, was a, was a vocational technical high school. The the white um, counterpart was McKinley Tech. So that fall of night, well, the summer of 1954, there were 19 students. So it wasn't a rapid thing um, that received letters, just random students from Armstrong, 19 of them that received letters that you will report to McKinley Tech in in um, the fall, right? Yes. Of 1954. So it wasn't wasn't a rapid in all cases, but there was an action to to integrate schools at that time. Okay. Um, what was it like? I mean, that's one of the things that I've I've been studying and really want to delve into because you hear all DC public schools desegregated right in 1954 after the Brown decision. And the end, everything was harmonious, you know. But yes. you talk to people, and that wasn't necessarily the case in yes. certain schools. And, and I wouldn't imagine uh, it would be. No, exactly. That's my whole point. I'm like, okay, there's more to this story. So I've been, I've been talking to a lot of people as well. And as part of the oral history, I've been delving into that with individuals who transition, you know, at that yes. point. But, um, and you hear mixed stories. Some people have smooth transitions. And some people not so much, um, okay. particularly, again, the black schools did not desegregate, right? Yes. Why would they when you're looking to go to a school that has better resources, particularly okay. in a white school? So you have black students populating white student bodies, um, populations. So in some instances, you had teachers that were resistant. I mean, the teachers, it was, sometimes it wasn't even so much students, but the teachers okay. that had problems. Wow. Um, but... As far as, I mean, it happened, and I'm sure there, was, there were some challenges in particular schools. There became issues um, where a tracking system was created, in a sense, that was ruled discriminatory in the 1960s because it was a tool that was used to hold African-American students back that were actually excelling. Um, it may have been excelling past some of the white students. Okay. So there were some discriminatory practices that started um, as these black students started to populate these white schools. Okay. But in some cases, there was not a whole lot of um, movement. Some kids had smooth transition. I actually interviewed um, a retired teacher who happens to be white, and she said that 
when they made the decision to desegregate schools, that her principal came running down the hall and was like, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to have to desegregate in the fall. And, and she was talking about how dramatic she was about it. And she said, okay, and continued teaching her course. And she told me that um, she got two black students, and that was a very small number, in her kindergarten class. Okay. And she said that they happened to be twins, <laughs> and they kept them together, so they got along fine. Yes. Again, they were fortunate because she didn't have a problem, okay. you know, at all. Yes. With nurturing them, she te treated them like the other children. But all stories weren't like that, of course, because there was discrimination, yeah, and um, there had been a dual system historically in D.C. until 54. So, you know, obviously you're going to have people that have problems with it. Nice. You know, I, again, we're talking about the history of public education in this nation. Uh, more specifically, we're putting the spotlight on the history of the public education in our nation's capital. That being Washington, D.C., our featured exclusive expert guest tonight is uh, the one and only a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, almost like a sister, uh, Kimberly Springle. She's with us. She's the executive director of the very uh, celebrated and acclaimed Charles Sumner School Museum and archives. You know, Kim, uh, talking to you, I I'm continuing to learn. I've been to your facility numerous times, but again, I'm always learning something new. I want you to tell us this, and you would know this better uh, than anyone in my personal and professional opinion. Share with our national listeners one really unique and unknown fact about the public school system of our nation's capital. Well, you know, I think a, a fact that a lot of people don't know is that the first um, president of the Board of Trustees of the Board of Education was um, a president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, wow. A lot of folks don't, don't know that. He was actually responsible for petitioning to get public education in Washington, D.C. Now, of course, it was exclusive. It didn't include all of us. Okay. But um, because of him and his efforts, there was a... Um, the, the beginning of a public education system which started in 1804 Okay. Wow, and that is an interesting fact. So Thomas Jefferson, one of our uh, first uh, primary presidents, was instrumental in establishing public education in the nation's capital. Uh, but again, we want to be true and accurate to all history. You're saying uh, that did not include minorities, in particular African Americans, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. At that point, we were enslaved yes. in yes. Washington, D.C., and, you know, and other parts. Okay. okay, definitely, absolutely. We're spotlighting the history of our public education school system. Okay. And regardless if uh, your child or if yourself attended the public education system or not, or you um, actually uh, were educated in the private school system, either way, the history of our nation is the history. The truth is the truth. And public education has played a uh, powerful and pivotal role in the history of this nation and really of the world. But we're spotlighting U.S. history, and in particular, we have an expert, a leading historian expert uh, for the nation's capital uh, history of public education, and what a journey it has been. You know, Kimberly, how can our listeners value the importance of the history of public education wherever they may reside? Because you're in the nation's capital, obviously you lead a uh, instrumental and very relevant uh, museum, a facility um, that houses archives and, and certainly brandishes the importance of public education for D.C. and the history of it. But every city um, is not as fortunate as Washington, D.C. in that aspect. Are there any other resources that the uh, typical American or citizen can go to or utilize to learn more about the history of public education, which, again, is a reflection of history in general? Well, I think people anywhere you are 
can value school because that's, you know, most people go to school, right? Yes, you absolutely. Know, it's law. It's law. Not. Hmm? It's the law. Exactly. It's the law. you got to go to school, right? So you, you develop socially in school. You develop culturally in school. It's a very big part of people's lives. And I guess the first, the first place is discover your own city's history of public education, how the school came about. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's all sorts of stories wherever you go. So I guess the uh, resource, so to speak, are the actual schools themselves. That answers your question. Okay, absolutely. And obviously, I'm a huge advocate of our public libraries, Kimberly. I would imagine that our public libraries, to a certain degree, can help explain or elaborate or extend the histories of our schools? Well, sure. I mean, there, there could be histories that were created, developed. It's not just Washington, D.C. that's keeping these stories and values. Mm-hmm. Their, their experiences are public education in general. For example, um, there's a Charles Sumner. There's several, actually, Charles Sumner schools in um, the Midwest, and there was one in particular that was an African-American school. I think they both are the, are the ones that are named for this abolitionist figure. And they wrote memoirs, or they wrote biographies about the history of the school. So these things exist, and, of course, publications are found in libraries. Yes. And you might be surprised on what sort of histories you find on the schools in your city or your town um, in the public library. So that's wow. true. A lot, of, a lot of people do take an interest in history, and again, school is such a big part of us. Yes. We, we spend a lot of time there, and again, it's law. So um, a lot of people actually have an interest and have written publications. So yes, the local library is an excellent, excellent suggestion of looking for titles that pertain to local histories that oftentimes include schools. And I don't want us to forget the obvious, which may be obvious to you, obviously a leading historian, but also the Internet, right? I mean, which obviously they can use in their local libraries to go oh, into know, their... What you'll, what, you'll find, what you'll find mostly on the Internet, yes. actually, is that the Internet's always a good resource. Okay. Um, and, and actually the first go-to, of course, these okay. days okay. in the digital age. But there are lots of alumni groups that oh, are around. Wow. So it's not, there may not be a physical museum or space okay. where things are being collected, but uh, I tell you, alumni collect things on their own. They may have um, storage units that they've rented and have materials. You, you'd be surprised um, what types of memorabilia and memories that have been recorded through alumni gatherings, yeah. you know, um, reunions that happen every year, every 20 years, 15, 30, 50, you know, the, the large ones. So okay. a lot of materials collected there, such as memorabilia from after school years and how people um, reflect on their, on their school years. Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, putting the spotlight on the history of our public education system. You know, Kimberly Springle is with us. She's a leading historian. Um, she's a great friend of mine. She's a, a resource that uh, she can just go on and on about so many different topics regarding history. But tonight, she uh, gave us uh, the honor of talking about the history of the public education, in particular, our nation's capital, D.C. That's her expertise. Before you get out of here, Kimberly, I know you're with the Charles. Sumner School Museum and Archives. How can our national listeners learn more about you or your museum and connect with you? Because the museum uh, is open throughout the year. I know it's a great uh, vacation visiting uh, piece of our nation's capital. Let them know how they can find out more about your facility. Absolutely. Well, you can find us on Facebook, and you can just um, search Charles Sumner School Museum and Archives. And you will find information about upcoming events, our hours, our phone number, and all of our contact information. Where you can find us, we'd love for you to visit next time you're in Washington, D.C. 
Additionally, um, if you have questions or inquiries about the collection or anything I've discussed this evening, you can email us at info.sumnerschool at dc.gov. And again, that is info, I-N-F-O, dot Sumner School at dc.gov. Excellent. You know, our history is so important um, for uh, many, many reasons. Uh, obviously, there are different aspects to our history, and we want to be making sure that we're educated on it, Kimberly. I know you would agree being a historian and just aware of information. And for the dark parts of our history, make sure we know it for us not to repeat it and for us to share the truth uh, with all generations, but particularly our youth, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got to keep it's it going. On, yes, on all subjects. It is. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Again, Kimberly Springle, uh, one of my best friends in the whole wide world. Uh, again, a leading historian, expert on the public education uh, history of Washington, D.C. I've enjoyed the conversation. Again, your award-winning national family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton, putting the spotlight on issues that matter to you, bringing awareness to your world. Public education, the history of it in our nation. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Kimberly Springle. You're a friend here on the show. Keep sharing all of your information, okay? Thank you for having me. What an exciting conversation with the one and only historian, Kimberly Springle. Again, we are very thankful and grateful for her time and efforts for Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. Well, I learned something tonight. I learned a lot tonight, and I hope you did also, to take back to your community or with your family. Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, offers talk radio with substance. Well, we're almost out of here. I have a musical surprise, a musical gift for you before before we get out of here, but first, lend me your ears for just a few seconds. Attention listeners, listen to this. We spend too much time at work not to enjoy it. We don't have a personal life and a professional life. We have one life, and we have to make that life count. If you want to enjoy your job and career and make your life count and ultimately achieve success and significance, then Revelations in Business is the book for you. Revelations in Business, connecting your business plan with God's purpose and plan for your life, is an award-winning book that's been endorsed by many industry leaders, including Dan Cathy, President and Chief Operating Officer of Chick-fil-A. Revelations in Business provides you with biblical principles, practical tools, and real-life examples from today's business leaders and takes you through a step-by-step process to show you how to connect your profession with your purpose and your career with your calling so that what you do in the workplace and in the marketplace, you are anointed to do it and you have passion for it and you are positioned to excel. I am Dr. Shalette Stewart and as the author of Revelations in Business, I travel the world speaking on purpose-driven leadership topics and have served in leadership roles for global companies, including the Coca-Cola Company. And I currently serve as the Associate Director of Executive Education for Southern Methodist University Cox School of Business. I look forward to sharing the insights of Revelations in Business with you. The book is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever fine books are sold. It's also available on traditional book format, as well as ebook and audiobook format. For more information on how to maximize your personal fulfillment and your professional success, or to schedule time for me to conduct a workshop for your organization, I invite you to log on to revelationsinbusiness.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and be blessed. Well, I love it. I love tonight's edition of Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. 
stay with us for next Tuesday night, same time, same place. Again, visit our brand newly designed website for more information on upcoming guests, topics, or information on all of our sponsors and advertisers. And again, it's an easy-to-remember website. It's at Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton.com. Again, that's www.letstalkamerica with Shana Thornton.com. All right, real talk for real people. That's our tagline here, and we're sticking with it. Again, if the subject or topic matters to you, we do our best to bring a meaningful and game-changing conversation to your world, and we hope we did that tonight, okay? If you have any feedback or show suggestions, simply email us at letstalkshana at gmail.com. That's letstalkshana at gmail.com. Stay connected with us. Keep the conversation going. Before we get out of here, we have an amazing selection from the one and only vocalist, Desiree Harris-Bronner. She is with us tonight. Her musical selection is titled Amazing Grace. I had an opportunity to sit down with her a few months ago live on air on television, and she's an amazing individual with a beautiful and very gifted voice. I know you're going to enjoy this selection because I do also. Well, everyone, we'll talk soon, okay? Keep it going. Make a difference. All content original, copyright 2015 by Pageant and Thomas Enterprises, LLC.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.